Hello, this is Neil Chatterjee, and welcome to the Envision Forum podcast. Today, I am proud to have with me Matal Desai, the new Chief Information Officer, or CIO, for the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I am really happy to have Matal here in this capacity. He's a seasoned IT leader who has served here at the commission in a couple of different capacities over the years and brings a wealth of experience and innovation to the job of CIO. Welcome, Matal. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's a, it's an honor to be here on your podcast today, and I'm looking forward to uh, having a good dialogue with you. So before we begin, um, I just gave a quick snapshot of you and your experience. Um, but tell us more uh, about yourself, if you could give us some details about your background. Sure, sir. Uh, you know, I actually grew up in the Northern Virginia area, grew up in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, I'm a proud Virginia Tech Hokie. I graduated uh, and, and with a degree of business information technology. Uh, after school, I worked at KPMG and their information risk management practice. Uh, moved on to actually work at FERC and moved into the CIO division, doing multitude of roles uh, right before I was the chief information security officer for the commission responsible for I- implementing and, and um, the cybersecurity program for the commission. And now, uh, you know, I have the honor to serve as the CIO for the commission. So I, I'm a big proponent, as listeners to this podcast know, uh, of government service. Uh, I, I truly believe it's a it's a commitment to uh, to the country and the commission. Um, working at KPMG as a young man out of school, it's a pretty big time job. What drew your interest to FERC, and uh, and what was it that attracted you about the commission to convince you to leave a, a pretty prominent trajectory to come and work for the government? I think it was the draw of public service. I think the biggest thing for me, um, working in the corporate world for a period of time, while I enjoyed working with multiple clients and, and, and dealing with different multitude of issues, I think the call to public service, and I had a keen interest in the energy sector to be able to come on and how I could support from an IT capacity uh, to, to support the daily work that all the commission employees do was a big draw for me. Um, I think the other thing about FERC, it's a very family-oriented uh, environment. Being able to build a career with uh, the multitude of leaders that are here, uh, my peers and, and, the, and the staff that I get to lead has been a huge draw for me to stay within the commission for a long period of time. And so I enjoy coming here every day. So I have to ask, um, I you know grew up, Indian parents, really wanted me to go to medical school. They're still wrapping their heads around this whole energy policy thing. But my dad was fixated uh, when I was in college in the mid-1990s on computer science and made me uh, enroll in a computer programming course uh, in C++, which I performed abysmally at. What I mean, can you just give me some background as someone who failed in this regard? What is the type of training that prepares you uh, as a student to move on into this career? So I think it's a multitude of things. I think when you think of folks that work in IT, those are the folks that are building the computers, that are um, maintaining routers, and they're, and they're building servers and things like that. I think in IT, there's a multitude of things. You're looking at risk management. You're looking at how you, you're communicating risk across the environment. You're looking at how you implement and devise a strategy. So outside the technical acumen, that's required to do this role. I think the bigger importance is some of the interdisciplinary skills, such as negotiation tactics, developing business plans, leading folks, 
effective communication, building partnerships across uh, uh, your stakeholders to be able to buy into a vision that you're maintaining for the commission. So I think what was nice for me, I went to business school at Virginia Tech. My, my, my concentration in the school was within IT, but a lot of the two years that I focused undergrad as well was within business, the financials, the accounting, the marketing management of it, which kind of gave me a holistic picture of how to be a true professional leader in the IT environment. Well, I'm sure your parents are much more proud of you than uh, than mine are of me. I never learned C++, uh, but I've mastered Control-Alt-Delete. Um, so, uh, again, I'm being jokey, but this is a very serious position, the role of Chief Information Officer. Can you give our listeners who maybe focus more uh, on the substantive policy aspects of the Commission's orders, what the role of the CIO is at FERC and what the significance of that position is? So, you know, the CIO is within the office of the Executive Director and we're in a mission support function. I think the primary responsibility of the CIO is enabling our customers, our FERC employees and the public to perform the work of the Commission more effectively through the use of technology. And so, you know, I see myself as a strategic partner, uh, not someone that provides IT equipment, provides making sure that the systems are available, but more understanding how the commission works on a daily basis and then how to implement technology solutions to make that make everyone's lives a little bit easier and more efficient to do their jobs on a daily basis. So I think it extends more than just IT. It extends more, and I was talking about some of the soft skills that we build upon, partnerships, uh, clear communication, uh, listening skills to be able to perform and build a good information technology vision that supports the Commission's overall objectives. So we have a number of program offices across the Commission, uh, uh, the Office of the Secretary, we have uh, our Administrative Law Judges, Office of uh, General Counsel, uh, EMER, OPI, OAL, OER, all the, the, the alphabet soup. Can you just uh, give our listeners a little bit of background? on how you engage and interact with the various program offices, uh, provide them with what they need, but also reconcile competing needs in what is uh, a difficult budget environment. Yeah, so I think one thing that's been nice for me, I've been in the commission for a long period of time, and, and so getting to know a lot of the senior leaders growing up in this environment really helps to understand the way they think, the way they want to implement their vision for their program offices. How we implement technology solutions, we do a multitude of things. It's always clear communication with our program offices, understanding their business needs, whether it is the types of monitors and laptops they're looking for to do their jobs to, how we better implement our new applications that we do our daily responsibilities for. We do that through a multitude of things. Uh, customer engagement forms with each of the program offices is something that we're looking to continue and implement even further. Uh, we, we meet with a lot of the significant stakeholders within the program offices to kind of understand the boots on the ground, what is it that we're working for them from an IT perspective and what isn't. Uh, everyone has a type of technology or solution that they want. What we look is to balance the business requirements with the technology needs. So if we can find a technology that meets the majority of the business requirements that's within a cost model that makes sense for the commission, we tend to implement that across the board. Uh, while that doesn't make everyone happy in the sense of they don't get specifically the, the, the technology they want, it does meet the needs of the commission and at the end of the day supports the goals of the strategic plan. Now, are there certain things that are 
applicable agency wide that maybe necessarily apply to all the program offices. I think of a couple of examples for me. During my tenure at the commission, it has been remarkable to me the role that IT has played in our substantive work. So I've been very vocal uh, about my support for landowners. Uh, I'm very empathetic to the plight of landowners and have an understanding that it is not the responsibility of a landowner to track FERC dockets. And they shouldn't have to hire an attorney to track FERC dockets that may implicate their property. And so I've been very adamant that I wanted to make it incumbent upon us at the commission to do a better job to reach out to these landowners, to reach out to stakeholders. So I really pushed for improvements to our website. And I know that was something that you played a part on. Can you just kind of walk us through that process and what the implications are for the commission's work? Yeah, so I think when we uh, looked at implementing a new website, and another part of this becomes a modernization effort, uh, an evolution of technology, we worked very extensively with the Office of External Affairs, who was a great partner to implement the new website. Uh, it was a multi-year effort. We started from the boots ground, from the from 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 the ground up, where we built just basic business requirements. What kind of Technology solutions can implement a more modernized web website design. How can we secure that information when we're entering information from the public? Um, and how do we maintain that from a 24 by 7 basis for availability of those services uh, that's the most public facing for the commission? So developing business requirements, uh, understanding some of the pain points across the commission and what the website didn't do for them and where we could improve. That's how we created a contract type of vehicle where we would recompete that out. And so once we recompeted it out, we, we issued a contract with a, a viable partner and we started building out the website. During that phase is when we have more requirements analysis that's done through uh, looking at the current website, uh, getting input from, from the public, getting input from our, our employees within the commission, and then building out a total plan to implement. I think it went very well. Um, Obviously, we learn as we go along as well. So we built a very great, viable product with the Office of External Affairs, and then we'll continue to add more releases as we get more input from the public, we get more input from our customers, and then we'll continue to secure that website as new threats and vulnerabilities involve that we need to ensure we can protect our systems from that. See, I think that's so important to stress, and thank you for that, and thank you for the work you did on that. In the same way that on substantive orders the commission puts forward, um, we have a comment period and we respond to comments and we improve our orders based on the comments that are submitted. I love that you guys took notice, took comments, identified user interactions and, and what could and could be done better and, and worked that in. So to that end, um, again, FERC is a quasi-judicial body, but we do also uh, have rulemaking abilities and have responsibilities outside of the filings that come to us. I, not jokingly, but quite seriously laid out early on in my tenure as chairman that one of my main goals was to modernize e-library. And I got to tell you, I think this was a big undertaking. It was significant. It was something that had been brought to our attention by a myriad of stakeholders. And I personally feel that 
we're in uh, the infancy of the new e-library rollout. I'm particularly pleased with it. I understand it's not perfect and other people um, are having different experiences, but anytime you try something new, there's gonna be challenges. We're at the anniversary, the 26th anniversary of the rollout of Windows 95. And I remember being a kid in college and that was such a celebrated thing, wound up being complicated to implement e-library. I'm not putting it on par with Windows 95, but it's a big deal to those of us in the FERC sphere. Can you just kind of walk us through what went into the overhaul of e-library, what you hope to achieve out of it, and as some of the, you know, tinkering and, and complaints have come in, can you give our listeners some assurance that we're going to be responsive to uh, to the issues that they've been having? Absolutely. I mean, eLibrary, uh, we spent a considerable amount of time in respect to developing the business requirements. This was a multi-year effort, uh, testing of the application, development of the application, multiple iterations from feedback, not only from the public, but from stakeholders uh, that got us to a product of where we are today. Um, I can tell you that this product has been a long time coming. It's a significant deployment that we've done in at least the last 15 years. And I think the rollout went very well. Um, obviously, with any deployment that we do, that is at this massive scale, there's always going to be a level of requirements that are not met that meets everyone's needs. And so how, we, how do we handle that? One thing that we've done as we rolled out the e-library, we've gotten a lot of good feedback from the public. We've gotten a lot of good feedback from our significant stakeholders within commission. And even internally, our own IT team has looked at ways to continually tweak and make improvements. Um, this was a phase two effort, which was basically the front end user interface and search indexing functions would be completely remodernized. And phase three now looks at the back end infrastructure and how do we make the system more available? How do we make the system a little bit more powerful and how it supports the commission? I can tell you this was long and tedious hours for my IT staff. I'm forever grateful for the hard work that the teams have spent, the long hours, the, the weekends, to put this across, but we'll continue to, to grow and, and build a system to a, 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 a place where it's going to be consistently available, uh, the indexing is strong, and you'll be able to access those resources very quickly. Um, I, uh, I can tell you that the teams are very invested in eLibrary. They live and breathe it every day, and they're very committed to the hard work to making sure that we meet the demanding needs of our stakeholders at the end of the day, and we'll continue to build it out. What's the thing that people are complaining about, this download thing? I, I don't fully understand it. Um, uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think so. There, there's one thing. There's a generate PDF function that's within uh, the search function. So when you search for documents or in the sessions, there's a, the, the top menu looks at generate PDF. The PDF is an on-demand generation. It's very different from what it was the OLE library. The OLE library system, uh, PDFs were pre-generated. They were stored and then uh, you could pull the file down. We've decided to make it an on-demand function to reduce uh, complexity of the system, uh, reduce storage, and be able to use that service when needed. Uh, if you look at within the e-library system, there are a lot of PDFs already available. So folks that are looking to get the, uh, the PDF, they can just download the file. Uh, if you look at when you search in a session, there's a generate PDF on the top, and right on the bottom of it is the actual file name. You click on the file name, you can download the file, 
and you can get it. For files that are not necessary PDFs, if you think of text files or TIFF files, those are the ones that will require PDF generation. When you're generating a PDF on demand, it takes a couple minutes. Because think about that when you're taking multiple files and stitching it together, that's an on-demand function that will take some time as you're traversing through our network. Um, we have we have we're looking to ways to improve that by adding more search engines, more search, more capability, more robustness in our our compute area, and we we feel that that will improve over time. But I think part of it is a organizational change function of how the user experiences the new e-library, and that will take some time and adjustment. How we are doing uh, some of that change management functions, we have information readily available on FERC.gov. Uh, we send regular updates to our commission employees weekly. We make updates on our FERC collaborator, FERC intranet site on how to better use the system. And we'll continue to be taking feedback and improving that system as we as we go along. Well, I appreciate everything you've done on this. And my understanding is this had already been a process that had been started, and you kind of had to come in and finish it. And so now that you've got, you know, control of the wheel, if you will, you can really execute it going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we were at the two-yard line to deploy this, and, and, and our former CIO did a very good job to get us to where we are today. And the teams that have been here constant to get us to where we are has been a very instrumental effort of where we are with the deployment of eLibrary. Now that we have deployed the user interface for eLibrary, we're, we're, we're into phase three now to, to, to really continually improve the back-end interface. And once that's done, we're going to keep taking in more customer requests, makes more tweaks and enhancements to improve the user experience. At the end of the day, the number one primary factor why we deploy services to the commission is enhancing the user experience and making information readily available in a way that is meaningful for the employee. So the analogy that I will use for our listeners that they'll appreciate, um, we saw the GOAT, Tom Brady, in his new role with Tampa Bay this past weekend. He had some incredible throws, but wasn't quite as sharp as he stepped into a new role. I think uh, I'm going to take that same approach to eLibrary. Once given the time to get comfortable with the offense and to get comfortable with the personnel around you, uh, like Tom Brady, I think you guys will be uh, humming along on all cylinders by mid-November. Um, pivoting a little bit again to, 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 to get serious because these are serious things, I have been personally very proud of the fact that we made a difficult decision at the commission with the onset of the pandemic and the health threat posed by COVID-19 to go all virtual. And we were one of the first agencies to do so. I believe it was around the March 11th, 12th timeframe. It's been so long, I can't even recall the exact date. The reality is, while I've been so impressed by FERC staff uh, and how they've stepped up and really we've not only been able to meet our objectives and fulfill our mission, I, I think we're operating at 120%. And the unsung hero of that effort, the staff has been tremendous, no doubt, but it's the technology. And it's very easy for me as chairman to say, well, of course it went smoothly. Of course we were able to transition nearly 1,400 people to complete remote telework and have it work seamlessly, that we've been able to have technical conferences and uh, uh, judicial meetings and the like, all virtually. Um, it has truly been, and I think stakeholders 
will validate this a seamless six months. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission has been open for business despite the fact that we have not been operating from 888. And that is exclusively due to the IT deployment that we have. Can you just walk me and our listeners through the challenges that the disruption of COVID-19 and the pandemic have had, how you guys have met that challenge, and and going forward, what we've learned from this that we can apply on an IT basis going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we're in unprecedented times, and, and part of IT planning is looking at how we plan for disasters. And, you know, we spent way before the pandemic, our senior leaders within OED, at that time, always had asked us to think about how we plan effectively in situations where we're not going to be at the commission for a, a period of time. Um, one thing that we did right off the bat uh, to support those needs, we looked at how we could connect to services w- within HQ from a remote perspective. So think about location independence. Any place, anywhere you want to access resources that they be able to do your job responsibility your job responsibilities on uh, with effectively so we looked at how how do we connect to the network we upgraded our infrastructure uh, our virtual private networks to be able to hold create create a basically a load where all our commission employees could access services at any point in time outside of commission headquarters and be able to access all the information uh, the files the systems on a consistent basis. I think it went very well. I think that took a monumental effort of not only deploying infrastructure assets and our staff building out our data center to be able to support it, but also contracting, um, getting in the right licensing, getting in the right vendors to be able to help support that. I think that was a huge effort for us. And we, I, I really think that I really applaud and thank the IT staff for being very proactive and thinking out of the box to making sure we can access services. But I don't think it really stops just there. I think that the second piece of this is that how do you troubleshoot? How do you get laptops out to new employees now from a remote perspective? How do you troubleshoot when a laptop fails? How do you how do you get monitors out to folks from a remote perspective? This is very challenging times for not only just the commission, but I think IT organizations across every government agency to how to deal with this. Uh, the staff continually have the resolve and stepped up to find creative ways to do this. Um, and I think we, what we've learned right now is that we can support the commission uh, from a remote perspective. We just need to look at our foundational governance processes, look at how we can tweak those processes and be able to support folks completely remote at some point in time. So very practical example uh, of the challenges that I think a lot of FERC employees are facing. I myself have been unabashed. I'm a father of three. I've got three kids who, as of last week, are all going to school virtually. So the demand for bandwidth for three kids to be online all day uh, for virtual schooling, it's putting a lot of stress on our home capabilities, then you add my needs, my wife needs, other family needs to that. It's really straining. We've got the maximum package that I think Verizon offers, and there are still times of day where I have issues or if I 
utilize the bandwidth for my conference, it may knock one of my kids off of school. Do we think, you know, what are some things that, that for not just FERC employees, Americans writ large, if this continues, uh, the pandemic conditions, or even when we recover from the pandemic, if virtual learning and virtual work become more a significant part of our workday, what are going to be some of the IT challenges to that? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think we saw it right off the bat when the pandemic hit, everyone's at home, and all of a sudden the bandwidth is slow because everyone's home at the same time and everyone's using the same uh, network pipe in your neighborhood. Uh you know, we, from an IT organization and the government standpoint, we've talked with a lot of our service providers and how are they going to be able to provide more capacity, more redundancy to, the, to, to support that need. And so uh, working with our ISPs, they're already been building out more of the infrastructure on their ends to be able to support that need. For us, you know, instead of us trying to hit our network all the time, we are now moving to more cloud-based services. And so while that may take a strain on your network, you're able to access that information outside of our network. Our goal at some point as we modernize our IT applications, modernize our IT services, is that you don't have to rely on FERC's data center. You don't have to rely on FERC's uh, coming into our network to be able to access your services. We want to make it very location independent. Uh, that way, it gives you the flexibility to be able to access the services securely and in a manner that it could be on your mobile device, it could be on your laptop, um, but you'll be able to access that information. We are working hand in hand with these service providers on how they grow the network capacity. I think once pre-pandemic, once, once we go to reconstitution and pandemic and somewhat ends, we'll still have the capacity within our infrastructure to support the evolving needs. Uh, prior to our pandemic, we even upgraded our network bandwidth. Uh, for a long time, we were at a certain capacity, and the decision was made that we need to increase that capacity for growth uh, to support the evolving needs of using the cloud, supporting the evolving needs of how we have more users hitting the network for different services that we, uh, we provide to the commission employees. So we continue to do that. We'll continue to monitor the bandwidth to see what makes sense from a capacity standpoint, and then we work with our service providers to see what's the right capacity within a cost model that we can maintain to be able to provide effective services with the commission. Well, thank you for that. And again, I, I can't stress enough how much I appreciate you and your team and the role that you guys have played in enabling us to really successfully complete our mission over the last six months during this unprecedented time. We've talked a lot about uh, what role IT has played to date, updating the website, updating e-library, navigating the pandemic. Uh, but technology is ever evolving. And I have come to recognize now um, in over two years serving as chair of the commission that my responsibilities go well beyond the substantive component of the FERC agenda and the orders. And that really managing investment and IT is a critical element of a chairman's responsibility. And so I am very pleased and proud to have you in the CIA, CIO role. Uh, could you just give our listeners a sense of what you envision in the future, where you think the responsible investments 
in IT will be, where you see the trends that are going, um, and, and, and what do you see really as what's coming down the line in the future for FERC and its IT services? Sure. So a couple of, couple of things that we've already started. We've actually recompeted our IT support services contract. That's the largest contract in the commission that provides our day-to-day IT support services from engineering, cybersecurity, policy, and governance. And so we are underway on a transition. Uh, I think the, the, the transition is going to be very effective for us to be able to really deliver uh, and execute projects for the, for, for the FERC. Why that's important? There's a lot of big things that are, ha- that are going to be happening in the next few years. The biggest thing that we're looking at is creating an application layer modernization strategy. That is a multi-year effort to modernize all the mission-critical applications of FERC. Think of Virtual Agenda, FERC Online, ATMS. For a long time, we've used those systems, and I think it's really time for a, a overhaul. Um, most of those services will most likely go to a cloud-based model which uh, what I talked about earlier is about a location independence, being able to access those services anywhere at any time. Um, that will be a multi-year effort, very heavily involved, where it requires stakeholder engagement from our employees at the commission to be able to b- provide an application that they can effectively do their job. Uh, we're going to be moving more work sets to the cloud. So, you know, a lot of things that we've heard from our, our stakeholders within the commission is that they need IT to work well for them. So think about SharePoint, how we use SharePoint effectively for document collaboration management tools. We will be upgrading those. Upgrading our laptops. Uh, we know our laptops are refreshed for a period of time, so we want to be able to provide the light mobile laptops to be able to perform their functions. Uh, we're going to look at even our VPN solutions. How do we uh, be able to provide more cloud-based VPN where you don't have to connect everything back to FERC HQ and you can access the services remotely? And then security. Security is the layer that really fits across all the gambit of IT services we provide. So not only are we providing secure services, but even able to be able to handle information from a remote perspective. How do you access information from your phone? How do you access your information from a laptop? Uh, How do you print out information and secure that? All that's coming down the pipe. And I think the last thing that is should not be forgotten is that uh, we are expanding our data services, uh, which that means is that we're including to mature our data governance processes and then increase the use of data analytics, our, our, plat- our cloud-based platform to be able to use data to make more effective decisions for the commission. So we have a lot of stuff going on in the next few years. And as trends change, uh, federal requirements change, we flex around those things. But what, I, what I'm very confident in is that we're going to be able to deliver and implement effective IT solutions for our customers that they can access information very easily at any place and any time. From a security standpoint, how concerned are you about mobility? So, for instance, I have a FERC laptop that is extremely secure, and I know it's secure, but I also have my iPhone that uh, I utilize for FERC business. Is there any delta in the security vulnerability between my iPhone when I'm using it mobily, potentially attached to Wi-Fi versus my laptop? And how much, again, for the experts on here, they're probably laughing at me, but for most users of technology, we are all asking these kinds of questions. Is my work iPhone safe uh, to handle sensitive information? Yes. 
uh, we've deployed um, certain technologies that control the phone or an app. Like be it when you access your email, we can see when that information is being sent. We can protect that information. We can encrypt that information. I think when we look at threat vectors, and I'm putting on my old security hat here, we have to evaluate and analyze the risk across the board. Uh, accessing information from a FERC laptop has different security controls than accessing information from a phone. And so what we constantly do is look at ways to improve, not only balance the user experience, but be able to protect that information. I mean, I think that's an ever that's an everlasting battle between the CIO and CISO. And now I'm, I've been in both shoes, I can understand the pros and cons of how to outweigh those risks. And so I think what we're looking to do is, as we move to more cloud-based work sets, uh, I've, I've actually employed my security team who do a wonderful job protecting commission assets um, to be able to see how we can better improve the security posture of mobility, better improve the security posture of our laptops, but also balance the needs of our commission employees to access the information at any place and any time. So we work with our strategic partners to think of the Microsofts of the world, think of some of our vendors that we implement, some of our, our, our iPad services and, stuff, and, and, and all that information that we deploy within the tools. We'll continue to review those, analyze those, and implement the right tools and services to monitor, uh, protect, and be able to communicate to the user community how to handle that information better. Thank you so much for that. My final question, um, you are on the Envision Forum podcast. Uh, we recently announced that Envision, uh, the next Envision event, 2021, uh, will be taking place at Virginia Tech, your alma mater. Uh, can you just, for our listeners, uh, give us a preview of what, uh, of what you hope to see at uh, Envision Virginia Tech? Well, first and foremost, go Hokies. Uh, I think this is a great partnership between FERC and Virginia Tech to be able to deliver a, a conference that is going to really bring the thought leaders around, the energy thought leaders around the U.S. to be able to talk about a lot of critical information items that are important to the commission and not only and to the U.S. public. I think what I'm looking particularly about is that there's a technology spin to this. And so we're looking at how cybersecurity impacts the, cyber, uh, the energy sector, how IT is better utilized in the energy sector. And so for my, for personally for me, being able to interface with some of the thought leaders in that environment, not only from a industry perspective, but even an academic perspective of Virginia Tech is something that I think is going to be a wonderful event that people should really consider attending. Well, thank you, uh, Matal, for uh, for joining us today. Uh, I sincerely appreciate the work that you and your team are doing for us here at FERC and for the American public. Uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you for your service. And thank you for joining us today on the Envision Forum podcast. Thank you for having me on, sir. Really appreciate it. The Envision podcast is sponsored by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and its chairman, Neil Chatterjee. Views expressed in this podcast do not represent the views of FERC or any individual FERC commissioner.